disturbed. Um, Johnny's giving a little, you gave a little like sensual, like body, oddy, oddy it's there. Very am, body, it's very body, I mean, it is. It's very, it is. Um, did you ever watch I Dream of Jeannie? Of course. I love that show. You know, when she comes like up out of the, it's maybe like problematic nowadays, but she comes up out of the thing and yeah. smoke and then she's like doing a little belly dance, Barbara Eden. Of That's course. what I was doing. Oh, yeah. I was channeling Barbara her. E- no, I yeah. get that. Yeah. Well, it's not Barbara Eden. It is Darren Carp and John Thrasher here with Shaken and Destroyed. One day. New episode. But is she still with us? We're going to come. I I'll check. Don't. I'll check. Wait, can check. we check? I don't want to like. Barbara Eden. I just feel like, us? no. I feel Let like I've check. seen her pass. She's still with us. 91 um, years young. Barbara Eden. 91 years I, young. Blasphemous uh, from my mouth Good for of her. presuming anybody. I literally just made an assumption, which just goes me to Me too. Show. Well, listen, 91. of you and me. I mean, yeah, 91. But like, I just, I thought I remember like <laughs> seeing a headline. I mean. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. His name was Darren, wasn't it? Not I don't know. Not the genies, but the. I don't know. Okay. Oh, in the show. Yeah, in the show. That was Bewitched, I believe. Was oh, it Bewitched. Her, Bewitched. her husband was Bewitched. Yeah, yeah, I was like, the nose, not the genie. When that's right. She wiggles her nose. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. also, genie's husband, whoever it was, really cute. I really Super loved cute. her husband. Yeah. Super cute. And I knew that, this is how you, we know that being gay isn't a choice. I knew that at age, like, seven. You know what I mean? But you chose it. So. But I chose to have a crush. You're right. What yeah, am I going to no, do? Yeah, no, that's how it happens. You choose it. You just pick them out of a lineup, and it's like, boop. Exactly. There it is. There, there you go. Guys, if you love true crime podcasts, I want to tell you about our friends at True Crime Obsessed. Each week on True Crime Obsessed, hosts Patrick and Jillian, two of the loveliest people in the business, to be honest, tell a fascinating true crime story by recapping a popular documentary based on the case. Their storytelling is detailed and suspenseful, but also entertaining and funny. A listener review put it best saying, these two strike the perfect balance between humor and thriller. Listening to them, I'm belly laughing while at the same time locking my doors and turning on all the lights. With over 200 million downloads and a thriving community of listeners, True Crime Obsessed has been at the top of the podcast charts for over six years. They have over 30,000 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and their live shows sell out theaters all over the U.S. and internationally. And they even host an annual weekend-long fan convention called Obsessed Fest, where they bring together thousands of their listeners with some of the top true crime creators in the world. So if you've never checked out True Crime Obsessed, now is the time to join their community. So if you're looking for a new True Crime Obsession, follow True Crime Obsessed wherever you get your podcasts. There are over 300 episodes waiting for you to check out right now, covering everything from serial killers to notorious murders to the cases you haven't yet heard about but won't be able to forget. That's True Crime Obsessed wherever you're listening right now. Well... Shall we get into this week's? Let's get into this week's episode. I'm excited. By the way, I do want to just mention, if you want to watch us and see us, you can hit us up on, you can join us on Patreon. On our backgrounds. Yeah, you can see our backgrounds. And I should also put a disclaimer, because people are watching me in my background, that I am using a different microphone this week. I am in New York City, so I'm a little out of pocket. John is going to make it sound as best as possible. I'm sure it doesn't we'll even see. matter to some of you, but we'll see. If we'll I see come out with like a weird voice, You're it's like, John. I'm here in New York yeah. City this week. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If I start to sound like, the, uh, yeah. who is uh, Kathleen Turner? If I start to sound <laughs> like her, then we know. If you start sounding like Matt the bartender, that's when things are going to get hairy. That's when you know okay. things get hairy. But yeah. um, Oops, all right, let's back. get into. Ooh. 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 
1980, 48-year-old yeah. Katarina Brow. It's definitely Katarina, right? I think it's Katharina. Katharina? Katharina Brow? According to Megan's like, research. I know, but I feel like it's Katarina. I just think it's pronounced that. Am I wrong? I've never um, heard the name Katharina. Let's see. I'm going to take a quick little look here. It's a. It's hard to say. I. I let's go with Katarina because I think that makes more sense than I just Katharina. don't know. Obviously, it's with an H, so I'm not trying to. But anyway, yeah, yeah, two sentences yeah. in, not even a sentence. Sorry, three words in. Right. In 1980, 48 year old <laughs> Katarina Brow lived with her husband in Ayer, Massachusetts, a town just north of Boston. And on the morning of May 21st, Katarina's husband left the house around 7 a.m leaving his wife at home. And just before 11 a.m., so around four hours later, Katarina's daughter-in-law came to pay her a visit, but was instead met with a brutal crime scene. Katarina had been brutally murdered and her home had turned into a bloodbath. Now, she immediately contacted authorities who rushed over and began processing the crime scene. I mean, for me, I always think about this, like if I walked into something (sighs) and, and, and was absorbing what it all meant, like I would... I would like, thank God we have cell phones. Cause like back then they didn't necessarily have cell phones. So they had to call yeah. from the landline. Like I wouldn't even want to touch anything. I wouldn't want to touch the landline. I wouldn't want to walk over to anything. Yeah. I just wouldn't want to well, leave any trace of anything. I think that's a result too of, of our time, right? Because we've grown up on true crime shows and yeah. CSI and now we're podcasters. Like you and I, and everyone listening know not to mess with the crime scene. But I, I always think about you know, I always think about that John Benet Ramsey case where like the people were coming in and out and shoes exactly. and nobody really protected that crime scene. And nowadays you hope that it changes. But, you know, and and speaking, by the way, of stumbling upon someone's body, like, you know, there's been many times when I've been out on a walk in, in, in nature or down by a pond and I'm like, uh, why is there a black bag over there? I don't know that I want to go investigate that. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but. No, I'm, uh, I, 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 I've been in that situation in terms of like, it feels weird sometimes when I just see like a piece of luggage on the ground. That's what I mean. It's like very weird. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, it, anyway, so Katarina had been stabbed over 30 times with wow. five stab wounds piercing her heart. Oh, so this is, that. this is purposeful. It feels like this is, brutal. yeah, this isn't, this doesn't feel to me like a defensive reaction if you're no. getting stabbed 30 times. And five of them in the heart. Right. Now, she had also been hit repeatedly with a blunt object. Medical examiners thought it it was likely that she had lived for roughly 10 to 20 minutes after being stabbed and probably remained mm. conscious for at least half of that time, which is also really hard to take in. Tragic. Investigators also found her home torn apart. Her blood was all over the house, I imagine, being stabbed mm. 30 times. You know, we definitely give it. Closets had been ripped through as though they'd been searched. Faucets were running. Items were missing. Obviously, here, notably Katarina's purse, jewelry, and cash had gone missing. So that, to me, says robbery gone Robbery wrong, turned... Ro- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Feels almost... Faucets were running? Like, why? I hate like, to... I'm not trying to make light of this, but the only thing that I can think of that connects sound? to this... What's that? For sound? Like, Well, maybe sound, but I don't mean to make light, but remember, this happened on Home Alone. No, the Home Wet Alone. Bandits. No, I remember that. And I'm like, what? As like a calling card, but like. Yeah. Also, well, was it meant to sort of like destroy parts of the house? I, I don't know. I'll never understand that. Maybe. We should ask Megan to do some research on that. Well, amongst all the bloodstains in this house lay a great deal of evidence pointing towards the killer. Detectives found that Katarina's hand 
contained a fistful of hair, possibly belonging to her attacker. Investigators were also able to recover a number of fingerprints from various surfaces in the kitchen, including a beer can. Now, most interestingly, however, was a small paring knife discovered in the kitchen trash can, later determined to be the murder weapon. Uh, Small paring knife? I mean, that's... There's something so, like, blunt about a small paring knife that's, like, you know it's not going to actually kill you the first time you get stabbed it'll just puncture and be painful yeah Ugh, yeah. i hate that so much well here's what's interesting about the knife and a small paring knife i mean that's like that's on a cleaver that's not the biggest right, knife that's you what can I mean. find you know it's like one step up from sharper than a butter knife but like <laughs> right you know but on yeah. the knife was etched the words murphy company which is apparently the company that employed katarina's husband as well as a large portion of the town oh. of Iyer, massachusetts so so big local. employer here. Yep. Katarina's husband later identified the knife as his yeah. own. Yeah. So as they began processing the evidence found at the scene, police began interviewing anyone who may have been involved in the murder or who might have additional insight that's relevant to this case. One of the first people interviewed the same day of the murder was 25-year-old Kenneth Waters, who had known Katarina almost all of his life. As a youth, Kenneth had broken into Katarina's home. This got him sent to reform school, in part due to her testimony against him. Um, Kenneth now lived with his girlfriend, uh, a woman named Brenda, near the Browse home and worked as a cook at a local diner that the family often frequented. So not only, you know, listen, he breaks in, he goes, right. you know, he he does, he goes to reform school, whatever that is exactly. I don't even really know. Gets out and is working, and it's a place now where I mean that's such a weird thing in and of itself. Imagine going to a to dinner and you run into somebody who you know broke into your home that's working there, but that was young weird. at the time. Yeah, and, you know, did seem to he went to reform school. You know, you and hope he rehabilitated. Is maybe, what I mean. yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. But that's still a weird thing, and you know, we've talked a lot in the past on the show about. You know, people in the subway who we may be sitting next to yeah. who may have committed a crime, you know, it's a weird feeling to think that some of these people are just out walking around. Now, listen, he didn't kill anybody as as far as we know at this point, but still an odd situation to feel, you know, out yeah. to dinner and run into somebody who committed a crime against you. Anyway, nonetheless, um, although Kenneth looked like a potential suspect on paper, he turned out to have an almost airtight alibi because he finished work around 8.30 in the morning, after which time a co-worker drove him home where he got changed and then met up with his attorney at the local courthouse to discuss a case. He mm. faced unrelated charges of assaulting an officer. So he's got a lot going on in this guy's life. But, you know, and when it comes to trying to, like, down, you know, profile and understand people connected to this case, I guess it does make sense that this person who's in trouble with the law more than once sure. could be connected. Well, Kenneth had remained in the courthouse until 11 that morning and then went back to the diner until around 1230. And there were plenty of witnesses present at each location to verify his whereabouts. Detectives searched Kenneth's body for signs that he was involved in a struggle and found nothing, you know, paring knife 55 times. Remember she was found, or I'm sorry, 30 times. Remember, she was found with a clump of hair, so they could probably make a connection in some conne- in some way there, but they found nothing. They also took a set of his fingerprints to compare to the ones found at the crime scene, which they soon learned belonged to members of the Brow family themselves. Okay. Okay, so we're so, moving along. Right, moving yeah. along, which also goes to show that, you know, with this airtight alibi that, you know, not all prior to 
uh, offenders might necessarily be guilty That's right. in this case. Well, definitely not. Yeah. So after interviewing several other potential suspects and coming up with no leads, Katarina's case actually went cold for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So on September 30th, 1982, so two years later from yeah. when we started this case, detectives were contacted by a man named Robert Osborne, who claimed he had information about Katarina's murder, but would only provide it in exchange for payment. That's a little sus. It is very sus. Are you a good um, citizen and want to solve this case? And it also makes me wonder, like, how do the police determine whether or not they're willing to even take that, you know? Right, because who knows? You could send yeah. them on a wild goose chase. You know, you right. kind of have to prove that the evidence, I, I'm assuming we're going yeah, we'll to figure out how we can prove that. Well, the police agreed to compensate Robert as an informant, okay, and met with him the next day to hear his story. Now, Robert told the police that he was currently dating a woman named Brenda Marsh, who used to have a relationship, if we remember from what John said, with Kenneth Waters, mm-hmm. okay? Now, according to Brenda, Kenneth had confessed to Katarina's murder to her and even asked her to wash the blood off of his clothes after the break-in. Okay. Okay, even though this guy had an airtight alibi. All yeah, right? that's right. Detectives spoke with Brenda herself and seemed fairly aggressive in their interview, even threatening to have her children taken away if she didn't cooperate. Hmm. But I'm wondering what the police are thinking because they seem to right. know that where his whereabouts are the whole day. So, yeah. Okay. So I guess with their threats top of mind for Brenda, she informed police that on the day the murder took place, Kenneth had come home drunk from the diner sometime between 10 and 10.30 a.m. with a deep scratch on his face. But the police allegedly also looked to see if he had any signs of struggle and didn't come up with anything. That's what they said. That's what they said. So that's let's what they said. Unfolds. Now, remember, the husband was gone until 11. So 10 to 10. That's right. Him coming home would still match this timeline. That That's doesn't true. mean anything outside of it does match. Sure. Now, this statement directly contradicted Kenneth's already established alibi, of course. He was in court mm-hmm. with his attorney from 10 to 1030 that morning, perfectly sober, not to mention the police had searched his body for signs of a physical struggle and found nothing, to John's mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But after speaking with Brenda, authorities then spoke to another of Kenneth's exes, uh, ex-girlfriends, Rosianna mm-hmm. Perry. Now, at first... Rosiana, Rosiana, uh, right? Rosanna, Rosanna. Ros- I'm an idiot. Rosanna, um, Rosanna, like I'm an idiot. At first, Rosanna told I just let you go with it, you know? No, and, usually... and you're a good friend, but you should Yeah, I am. Okay, that's fair. I should put up my producer hat. I like, couldn't read that right. No, I, just, I like, know. It's a it weird was one. such a weird one. Rosanna, like a dumbass, told police <laughs> she didn't know anything about the murder and had no evidence of Kenneth's involvement. Okay. Well, you, and it's like when but is why when they go to Rosanna Perry? Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Like, why would they just assume an ex? I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're Rosanna like Rosanna knew. Maybe Rosanna, who is not Rosanna, knew something here. You know, Darren's. This is a person Darren just made up on the yeah, spot. Yeah, well, you never know. She could you be never involved. know. She but I, it does make me wonder: Did the police have some sort of? You know, because sometimes this was this obviously wasn't happening in the 80s, but, you know, police can go through your phone these days, your cell phone, your your iPhone and see that sometimes people are still texting their ex or still, te- you know, maybe sure. there's an ongoing relationship that most people don't know of or aren't privy to. Oh. Maybe they were doing something like that and were like, oh, Rosanna might actually have some connection here or or at least know something, you know, but she's saying no. So. She's saying, no, she says she doesn't know anything about it and had no evidence of Kenneth's involvement, which, by the way, is what you kind of need to convict. But here, based solely on Brenda and Rosanna's statements, 
Authorities arrested Kenneth on October 12th, 1982, which mm. just feels like right now from what we know. Yeah, like, I was going to say. Wouldn't you check know. with the attorney or the courthouse or something? Like, wouldn't you do your due diligence to, like, check if his alibi is airtight? Right. How can his alibi be airtight and then you arrest him? Like, that's just well, based on statements. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, what exactly, you know, when we're hearing that Kenneth uh, was in court with his attorney from 10 to 10.30. I mean, how do we know that? There wasn't video footage, I'm assuming, in 1982. So, you know, back then especially, there was such a paper trail of all this type of stuff. So, you know, did somebody, was this a, an eyewitness statement or was this like recorded in documents? You really have to wonder where the police are getting this information if then, after just speaking to two people that he's associated with, can then go and make an arrest. Well, you here's, know. and I think this is where the crux of it kind of gets going, because apparently after three hours of police interrogation, it wasn't just that Brenda didn't, i sorry, that Rosanna didn't have any mm -hmm. idea about the murder. She was interrogated for three hours by the police. She finally broke in those three hours and stated that Kenneth might have mentioned something about stabbing a woman and robbing her. Well, and then I'm thinking now three hours of interrogation, was this a false confession to get out of that That's interrogation That's what I'm saying, which is room? why, like, oh, well, all of a sudden his alibi right. isn't airtight because we yeah. need to solve this murder or something. Who knows? By the way, we're only speculating at this point as we get through the rest of this episode where we will reveal more details. Yeah. So in November, Kenneth was indicted on charges of first-degree murder and armed robbery. I just can't get over this. Despite being at the courthouse at 1030, like, what's going on here? We'll find out. So his trial began in May of the following year. Although DNA testing wasn't available in 1983, detectives were able to determine that types O and B blood were discovered at the scene. Interesting. Now, Katerina was type B, while her husband, son, and Kenneth were all type O. Wow. Okay. And it's interesting to me, I don't know if it's just because of like how we grew up, Darren, but like it's crazy to me that they can determine blood type, but not like whose blood it is, even in 83. You know what I well, mean? Well, I mean, it, I guess, you know, they're, I, I was going to say, like, otherwise, like, there can't be, like, individual bloods. Like, there's blood types, but there's not, mm -hmm. like, my blood and your blood, if they're both A positive, like, we can transfer blood. Yeah, You know right. what I mean? Like, if totally. you give me a blood infusion, then it's like, totally. is it your blood or is it my blood? I yeah, yeah, know. yeah. You know? I think so what I, think, I meant from like on a DNA level, it's just surprising. No, I, of course. And even like, in 83. I think there would be something there. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of interesting. What type of blood are you? I don't even know. Isn't that bad? I should know. I'll find out and let you know. Well, okay. it's, it's interesting that you asked this because actually type O blood is the most common type of blood found in 48% of people. Do you know your blood type? It's you don't have to tell me. universal donor, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm A positive. You are? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, oh. evidence. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Oh, uh, yeah, that, exactly. Oh, okay. Anyway, back to the trial here. Evidence technicians who worked on the case were called to testify and inform the court that the hairs found in Katerina's hand on the day of her death did not belong to Kenneth. That's a big tamale. That's a big one. Although he didn't testify on his own behalf, Kenneth's defense team, I almost said defense. I just want to put that out there. Kenneth's defense team. Is it is it Rosianna's defense? It's Rosianna's Kevin's defense. It's a lot. There's a lot going on today on this show. 
So, uh, although he didn't testify on his own behalf, Kenneth's defense team strategy seemed to simply be to re-explain his original alibi, which I think would make the most sense. I mean, if that's where he was and that's where that's, the court thinks he was. Right. Like, that's know? what all, that's all you should do. You don't need to go any further. Just explain yeah. where he was. Well, this is kind of where I was getting at earlier, because, however, it seemed that small pieces of evidence, like the time cards showing what time he had clocked in and out of his job at the diner, were missing after three years of stagnation on the case, which is understandable, honestly, especially in 1983. Whereas, again, now, most of our time cards, especially at places like this, are usually digital. You know, you check in yeah. however you do, and then there's a record. Punch in on the yeah. computer or whatever, yeah. Right. It seemed that the pieces of evidence needed to prove Kenneth's whereabouts at the time of the murder, his time cards, frankly, at the diner, had disappeared. Now, I don't know that they disappeared as much as life went on. Three years later, I mean, they're not going to keep a record, although it probably is up to some sort of prosecution to collect that information early on, I would assume, especially if they're arresting him. I don't know. Call me crazy. But well, this the is a small piece of evidence. I mean, this is... yeah. It's actually kind of the linchpin of the evidence. It really kind of is. That's what I mean. Yeah. Well, the prosecution proceeded with its case as though this verification of his whereabouts didn't exist at all, in spite the fact that police did have the time cards, actually, in order to verify the alibi the first time. That's what I was going to say. I was like, the police didn't put this into evidence? Like This This is is weird. Yeah, like discovery or whatever. Yeah. Well, taking this on incompetence one step further, the prosecution even accidentally introduced incorrect testimony into court. Oh, God. An evidence technician had initially ruled that because of her body temperature when discovered by police, Katerina's time of death occurred somewhere near 11.30 a.m., a time Kenneth was in court. However, at trial, the examiner who had conducted the autopsy claimed that Katerina had died much earlier, closer to 7 a.m., during one of the few short gaps in the defendant's alibi. Now, before we move on, I just want to mention that I would hate to hear if that short gap got sort of, you know, backed into. As in, you know, we have this person come. Yeah, like sort of, because you do hear about this. I'm not saying it's happening in this case yet. I'm just simply, you know, speculating that, you know, it's, it's possible to hire people to come to trial and say, oh, it looks like she actually died closer to 7 a.m. Oh, let me look at, you know. Let me look at my paper. Oh, looks like that's exactly when he wasn't um, at the courthouse. What a coincidence. I didn't know anything. I'm just the the person who conducted the autopsy. I'm not saying it's what's happening in this case, but, right, but when we you, when you look at the Innocence Project website and you read about some of these cases and you hear about some of these quote-unquote experts that they bring in to testify about this stuff, it just makes you wonder. That's all I'm saying. It makes saying. you wonder. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. you know, because that one one thing one person says could change an entire other person's life. That expert, no less, you know, exactly. Quote unquote expert. Yeah. So despite the many holes in their case, the jury decided the jury sided with the prosecution and found Kenneth guilty of Katerina's murder plus the robbery charge on May 11th, 1983. Can I just interrupt you now? Despite this, or I'm sorry, with this, despite the fact that they know that the hair in her hand was, was not, not Kenneth's, somehow the jury, st- I wonder if the jury knew that, by the way, maybe we don't, maybe they weren't even, maybe that wasn't admitted into the, into the case, but. 
I know, there but you'd you think it would be like you'd think the defendant you would, would hope this up like hello. And he was sentenced to life in prison. Wow. And a- after payroll records from the diner were discovered showing that Kenneth had indeed worked a double shift the week of the murder, the oh. defense team appealed the sentence on multiple occasions between 1983 to 1999, both through the state and federal court, setting the payroll records as new evidence. Where were these to begin with? I mean, well, after payroll. The police had them. Oh, my goodness. So both parole appeals were denied. This court stated that because the paperwork did not show the exact time of the shift, it was not relevant evidence to the case. Oh, my God. Okay. But they're timesheets. The one person who was sure of Kenneth's innocence all along was his sister, Betty. And after her brother went away to prison, Betty worked hard to put herself through college and law school, which she graduated in 1998, 15 years after Kenneth's conviction. And also, let's be frank, the blood that was found and fingerprints and everything turned out to be the brows. It didn't turn out to be Kenneth. So yeah, someone in the family, like, let's not forget that. Well, the only, the only connection there is that Kenneth also had O type of blood. That was the only connection, but so do 48% of humans on earth. So that doesn't really say too much. So all her efforts were for the express purpose of one day exonerating her older brother. When she was a licensed attorney, Betty began working on Kenneth's case together with the innocence project. Oh, and in 1999, she got a hold of the evidence collected at the initial crime scene, including the blood samples, and obtained a court order to begin private testing for DNA. That's pretty big. That's a That's major... amazing. So DNA testing wasn't available was at the trial in 1983, which is what John said earlier. But forensic science had come a long way in the past two decades, and it was now highly relevant to the case. So in 2000, testing commenced, and the results proved that it belonged to neither Kenneth nor Katarina's husband. Oh, what do you know? who had type O uh, blood. The Massachusetts State Crime Lab verified the DNA results in March of 2001. Two days later, on March 15th, the state vacated the charges against Kenneth. This is why the innocence project is good. Mm -hmm. He had lost 18 years of his life in prison for a crime he clearly had not committed, but was now temporarily freed while the police decided whether or not to retry him for the murder. (sighs) I, you know, I'm honestly, I just get so exhausted by these types of stories. Yeah. Like mentally, they really, this is another one. I was just saying on NMR the other day about how, I mean, obviously this isn't the exact same thing, but the Natalia Grace episode or a uh, special that we covered, it's like some of this stuff just really stays with me. And this is yet another example of like really fucked up just, I mean, yeah. you could say that prior to DNA technology, our justice system was very fucked up. Like, as well-intended as it might be, it, it's missing, it's getting it wrong a lot. Well, that's the problem with, like, uh, there's no perfect system, right? Because, totally. you know, for as many guilty people as we put in prison, we also put an innocent prison. And for as yeah. many innocent people, we also uh, let go free. We also let guilty people go free. Like, and, and, that, that's, and, that's, and that's the shitty thing, but also the harsh reality of it, because it yeah. is, like, there's human error in the in the court system, but it does kind of make you wonder. You'd think that the court systems would get better and better and better based on you would hope. And maybe they are. Yeah. Maybe they are. It just, there's too many of these to actually think to believe that. I know. Heartedly. So that's the crux. Well, at least with DNA, it's a little more definitive. Yeah. Basically since about the mid nineties, but it's just like, anyway, shout out to Betty, by the way, who had to go become a fucking attorney so that she could get to the evidence that proved otherwise. I mean, who knows if 
if this would have ever gotten around to, you know, the Innocence Project, if it weren't for her by 2000. Sure. Anyway, the police department immediately opened an entirely new investigation into Katharina's murder. At this time, a great deal of the missing evidence from the initial case was found in a retired police officer's personal storage locker. Uh, a police had it the whole time, right? Oh my God. Brenda Marsh was called to testify before a grand jury, at which time she informed the new detectives that her initial statement was based solely on the police's threats to no take shit. her children away yeah. and send her to prison as an accessory to murder if she didn't cooperate. Again, right. something that you hear about a lot more, uh, you know, these days because we see so many documentaries and podcasts about it, but it was still happening even more back then, probably. She then informed the grand jury that Kenneth had never made any statements admitting to the murder or implicating himself in any way. In June of 2001, the state dropped all charges against Kenneth, and he was officially a free man. That's amazing. However, only six months after his release, Kenneth tragically passed away after falling off a 15-foot wall as he took a shortcut home from work. I know. What a horrible, like, just the luck this guy had was terrible. Well, Betty filed a lawsuit on her brother's behalf against the state for wrongful conviction, stating that after his release, Kenneth was often in states of deep depression, of course, course. sometimes even suicidal, largely due to his experiences in prison. A doctor who testified on his behalf stated that Kenneth had lived nearly 20 years in, quote, a state of abject misery and profound unhappiness and anguish, deprived of just about every joy, satisfaction, and contentment an ordinary life might have provided, end quote. That's crushing. Well, the state paid out $10.7 million to Kenneth's estate, now managed by Betty. In and say what you will about that. I mean, that's there's probably some debate about whether she's entitled to that money versus him, but she is his estate, so and family members, so there's that at least. And by the way, in 2010, Kenneth's story was turned into a movie called Conviction, starring Sam, starring uh, Sam Rockwell and Hillary Swank. I'll see anything with Hillary Swank. Yeah, I you're a big Hillary love Swank. Fan. Hillary Swank. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and as far as we know, by the way, as we round out this week's episode, Katarina's killer has never been identified or brought to justice. Well, did they look at the hair? Do they still have the samples of hair? What, is it in some retired police officer's personal storage locker? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the key to this case, you know, we haven't even really talked about Katarina's family beyond, you know, what we heard about the discovery, you know. They should be trying to find that hair, I would imagine, right? I, I imagine that they are, you know, maybe Betty's even contributing. I don't know, but it's Who knows, but that's sad for that family. You know, I mean, it's good for Kenneth, but it's sad for that family too, right. you know? Totally. Well, let us know what you guys think uh, about this week's episode. You can hit us up on social media at Jay Thrasher and Carpe Darren. You can hit us up on our Facebook group. I almost forgot. Yes, you can. No, and I then don't. you can also hit us up on Patreon. If you're a Patreon listener, we are always checking our DMs and responding as much as we can, which is usually a couple times a week. Yeah. Um, speaking of Patreon, Darren, people were very inspired by our background. So why don't we get into some listeners? Well, people were. I also outs. have another shout out. Hold on. I'm going to. Oh, okay. That you flagged for me, John. Sure. You do that. I'll do, I'll do the. I'll do mine here um, if you want. Well, I, I can do. Oh, you got it? I, I have it pulled up, but I, I'll say the one that you picked yep. and then this other one paul on patreon said i'm so inspired to make my own custom background it hadn't occurred to me until now that i could do that i hey, know paula. Me, paula i mean thank god for 
for me. Thank God for John. She was, I could tell you paused there because you weren't sure if you wanted to give me that compliment. Like, yeah, and then God, I realized, you know, okay, I will. And like, what we're it, on the show. I'll get to my listener shout out because it's sure. yours relates to this, but go ahead with yours. Well, thank you, Paula. We are so glad yes, we inspired you, you. Gia also on Patreon says, quote, I'm telling you, magic is a future model. The picture with you both could be a GQ picture, which, by the way, if you're watching on the Sussy Radish feed on Patreon, I'm uh, Gia is referring to this cute picture. Of well, me because and Magic. he's just a little bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Darren, you is. had another one as well, right? Well, there was another one that was on Patreon. Um, and a few people actually wrote me just about like my girlfriend's really uh, hard work on Below Deck Down Under recently. Mm-hmm. There was a couple um, potential sexual assaults that were going to happen mm. that uh, were stopped by production and. It, the whole thing kind of broke the internet for a little bit, but uh, thank you all for the well wishes. I definitely um, told Nadine that. So thank you so much. It's very sweet. There you go. That's amazing. And I'm not even fully aware of what happened, but it sounds very intense. So we'll it is intense. We'll get, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, but just like Paula and, you know, Gia actually looking at our backgrounds, see us and our amazing backgrounds on Patreon. Join today for as little as $5 a month. Links in the show description or just go to patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed. You're reminding me too, as we talk about our backgrounds, I didn't add any other things to my room. Darren oh, no. has her Crocs, her pickleball paddle, her yeah, cat butt tissue have, holder. My, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Boom. My her like, weed. Headphones. Yes. Of my, Your weed my is everywhere. Weed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, good. And of course, we have to give a quick shout out to the lovely Megan for doing such a great job with this week's episode. So, everybody, one, two, three. Thanks, Thanks Megan. Megan. And that'll be it for this week's episode. Don't forget to check your freshies. And check your brake pads without pants. And apparently you don't need a penis. There I love you how go. I can end the episode on penis. I hate that. But we'll I see you guys. It. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.